0: I think that um, getting sober is probably the tip of the iceberg. There's so much more underneath that happens
1: internally. Well, hello, friends of Bill W. and other friends. You have landed on Sober Speak. My name is John M. Consider sober speak, if you will, your meeting between meetings. Please remember, we do not speak for AA or any 12 step community. We represent only ourselves. We are here to share our experience, strength, and hope with those who wish to come along for the ride. Take what you want and leave the rest at the curb for the trash man to pick up. Well, howdy folks. We are coming to you from deep in the heart of Texas. And that was the voice of Miss Sue S. that you heard at the beginning of this episode. And we're going to be hearing about her and from her more in just a moment. But first things first, this episode is brought to you by Mr. Joel Joel went to our website, SoberSpeak.com. He clicked on the Donate tab and made a contribution. Thank you so much, Joel, for your generosity. This episode is coming right out to you, Mr. Joel. So, well, all of you beautiful, Spirits out there. I've been doing some uh, spring cleaning today. I've been spending some time with my family and uh, I have also been listening to some uh, classic Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers on Spotify today. I was actually at a meeting earlier this week and my friend Kim in our group knows I like Tom Petty because we were having a discussion, ab- discussion about it because she was wearing a Tom Petty t-shirt, and she suggested that I listen to him on Spotify, so I took her up on that suggestion. So I mean, really, what more can you ask for? Spending time with your family, doing a little spring cleaning, listening to Tom Petty. I have told my children that when they die, And go through those pearly gates that Tom Petty is most likely the music that will be ringing out when they go through those gates. Uh, I'm not sure if they're buying it, but hey, I'm just uh, going for it. And by the way, if you're not listening to Tom Petty on Spotify, the only other thing that you should be doing... Is listening to sober speak. <laughs> Just so you know, we are available on Spotify. All right, this episode that you're going to be listening to today is entitled "Getting Sober is the Tip of the Iceberg." And so, on this episode, Miss Sue S from Massachusetts will be addressing the uh, the how the illness of alcoholism. And recovery have played a part in both her and many, many members of her family and their recovery. Uh, It's it's an incredible story. I I just kept saying, are you kidding me? But nonetheless, uh, Sue's going to talk about service service work. Uh, She's going to talk about the steps. She's going to talk about sponsorship, Um, She addresses what happens to someone, mainly her, when they stop attending meetings, and she has been sober for almost 30 years. You are in for a real treat. So, I attended a meeting this week, and the subject was complacency, uh, or as it's called in the big book, resting on our laurels. And uh, I believe the passage that was read was this one, page 85. And if it's not the one that was read, this is the one I want to read. So nonetheless, page 85 of the big book, it says, it is easy to let up on the spiritual program of action and rest on our laurels. We are headed for trouble if we do, for alcohol is a subtle foe. We are not cured of alcoholism. What we really have is a daily reprieve contingent upon the maintenance of our spiritual condition. Every day is a day when we must carry the vision of God's will into all of our activities. How can I best serve thee, thy will, not mine, be done. These are thoughts which must go with us constantly. We can exercise our willpower along this line, all we wish. It is the proper use of the will. So, What this brought to mind for me was in a former life, I was uh, exposed to a significant amount of uh, safety training in the manufacturing industry. And one tidbit that I clearly remember uh, to this day uh, is this, is that people who died on the job from accidents, generally speaking, had either one year or less experience on the job or they had more than 10 years on the job, more than 10 years. So obviously, the people with less than one year on the job, it was an experience factor. The individuals that had 10 years on the job, though, it was a different story. It was about complacencies. In other words, they had grown comfortable with high voltage lines and various types of other heavy machinery that they had to work with on a day-to-day basis. And they considered themselves to be, in some form or fashion, immune to the hazards around them because they had gotten so used to working for them, working with them, I should say. So I've been sober now for a few 24 hours. And I have to remember but this illness called alcoholism still lives within me. It doesn't mean that I can stop attending meetings, doing service work, um, talk, talking to other alcoholics, helping other alcoholics, and all the other basics. Most of you know what the basics are. So my question to you today is, what are you doing today to maintain your spiritual condition? Keep in mind... I would appreciate you sharing this podcast, maybe this episode with two or three other family rem- members. It is a great, great way to support the show. If you want to join the secret Facebook group, just send me your email address uh, to john at SoberSpeak.com. That's J-O-H-N at SoberSpeak.com. And uh, keep in mind, it has to be your email that is associated with your Facebook account. If you want to follow me on Instagram, I'm at, at @sober_speak, all one word. I read all of my direct messages, and I would love, absolutely love, to hear from you. So we will have listener feedback at the end of this episode today. But for right now, enjoy Miss Sue S. Bye bye. Okay, everybody. So today we are sitting here with Miss Sue S. from. Massachusetts, right? Did I say Massachusetts right there, Miss Sue?
0: You did. Try spelling. Yeah, <laughs> <The>, uh,
1: <laughs> it's a tough one. Thank you, John. <laughs> so Sue S is going to be telling uh, her story with us today. You will be the actually the second person that we've had on the program from Massachusetts, but you'd be the first alcoholic. The first one was uh, uh, an Al Anon member named uh, Megan. So.
0: Wow, great.
1: Huh. Nonetheless, all right, so Sue S., why don't you go ahead, introduce yourself, uh, give your sobriety date if you wish, and then we'll just kind of take it there from there.
0: Okay, I'm Sue and I'm an alcoholic. Uh, my sobriety date is September 13th, 1989.
1: September 13th, 1989. You know what we are, uh, we're just a few months apart from each other. I'm uh, May 29th of 1989, so...
0: Wow, that's great. Congratulations well, pretty yeah, soon. Yeah, congratulations
1: <laughs> to you pretty soon too. The big triple X, as they say. Yes. All right. So uh, so Sue, I, I know you're in Massachusetts. I think you split your time uh, in some form or fashion between Massachusetts and Florida. Haven't you uh, contacted me from Florida? Yes. What do you do in Florida?
0: Yes um vacation um we were there for the month of march we went down for a month and that's when i contacted you i listened to your podcast driving down to florida it's a three-day drive and long long drive and um we were able to listen to it and listen to many of them so it was nice and then i contacted really so
1: when you say we what what you who was in the car with you
0: my husband and my dog
1: gotcha and i (laughs) how did your dog enjoy sober speak
0: (laughs) Um, and my dog loved it. <laughs> just laid there and listened to it the whole time. <laughs> That's
1: great. So how did you find Sober Speak? Didn't you say somebody referred it to you or something like that to listen to on the way from yes. uh, point A to point B?
0: Yes. Annette, who is a sponsee of mine, um, is a runner. And she listened to it while she was running. And she was just raving about it. And I said, all right, I'm going to listen to it on our way down to Florida. So we started, and every day we listened to a few more and a few more, and uh, I think we got them all in.
1: (laughs) Well, great. Well, that's good to know. All right, so let's talk about you a little bit and your sobriety. So uh, obviously, you've been going at this thing for uh, almost 30 years now, and Mm -hmm. uh, that is, wow. You know, I remember when I first came in to find somebody with 30 years was, uh, you didn't see that very much. I'll put it that way.
0: And it was very intimidating when and you That's did. right.
1: I remember I would see somebody with like 20 years and I would think, oh my goodness, you know, if I ever get to that point, I will be. Number one, I thought I would be spiritually saved and spiritually sound and, you know, I would have uh, no problems, if you will, uh, but it didn't quite work out that way. So, uh, so you got sober in 89. Um, tell me a little bit about your, I guess, your, your growing up there, um, What got you to that point? I'll say that.
0: All right. I'm the youngest of four children and all four of us are in the rooms. Really? All four. All four of us. Yes. And I have the least amount of sobriety. So Really? um, really So you have a family
1: that all kids are thirty plus years sober.
0: Yes, yes, we're very fortunate because it's really unheard of that everybody gets it. Yes, <laughs> and stays sober. So I'm really fortunate to have that in my. Do family. they
1: all live in Massachusetts?
0: Um, no, one's in California, and the other two live in Massachusetts. I have a sister near Boston, and a brother that lives close by. Okay,
1: me. what? Well, that's, What about your parents? Were they? I, I, mean, I don't mean to jump ahead here, but were they alcoholics?
0: Um, my first. Memory of alcohol is my uncle, who was a um, binge drinker, and he drank, uh, he would go on week, two-week binges and then sober up for a while and do well. And when I was little, I always saw him doing that. He was one of the first ones in the area to go on Antibus. Um So to me, that was what an alcoholic was. My father was a daily drinker. My father drank every day. He had he switched from scotch to vodka. He went to all different things, and um, but I never really saw my father drunk, so I never attributed him to being an alcoholic. It was really what I saw with my uncle.
1: Very interesting. So, did anybody else in your program in your family ever find alcoholics anonymous by chance? Yes, everyone. I mean, besides your brothers and sisters, but your your parents? Um,
0: no, I have cousins that have. I have cousins that are sober. I have um, children. <laughs> one of them is sober. Really? And has been sober for 10 years, yes. One of my sons. Wow.
1: So when you all get together for like holidays and such like that, I mean, do you talk about AA very much? Is it... Uh Oh,
0: it's a huge part of our life. Yes, it's a it's a really big part of our life. Um, I think that it's been harder for those that stayed drinking or doing drugs to be around us because um, my sisters and I all married somebody in the fellowship. Also. Really? So our husbands are really. Over too. Yes,
1: <laughs> that is fantastic. And yeah. so all. Yeah.
0: So we have. And- yeah, we have all of them ourselves. Do
1: all of the husbands have long-term sobriety as well, for the most part? Or, yes. Really?
0: Yes. Yes. Yep. My husband has um, 26 years, and my brother-in-law has 30-something years. He's up in the 30s, 35, 36. Um, and my other brother-in-law is probably in his 20 years, somewhere around wow. there.
1: That is very wild. So... <laughs> Yeah, so I guess all the, uh, the the cousins and the nephews and the nieces get to hear all this talk all the time. So they're going to know it's there uh, if they need it.
0: They know. <laughs> <laughs> they definitely know. And they know they can't do it around us either, as <laughs> they know what we're going right. to say.
1: Okay, so let's go back a little bit in time then. So you are... Um, Uh, out there. You're you're growing up in this particular family. And at some point, I'm assuming it entered into your mind that this is not normal the way I drink. Uh, Can you take me through some of the early days a little bit?
0: Sure. Um, I think growing up, I always felt that I was different. I always knew there was something different about me. I never felt um, like I belonged anywhere. I never felt that I fit in. I would go to school and I never, I had lots of friends and I was very popular, but I never felt like I fit into life and in general. And I found alcohol very early on and I loved it. Um, We have, you know, we have have friends that I I see today and, and we talk about this and Um, It's amazing. We all have the same memory of how I reacted to things. And um, we would go to the liquor store and stand outside the liquor store when we were probably 16 or 17 years old. And my friends would all, if nobody would come by, we'd try to get them to buy us some alcohol because we were underage. And if nobody could come by and, and nobody would do it. My friends would be like, okay, let's just go to the party and have fun. I wouldn't. I had to stay there until somebody... Got me the alcohol because to me that was more important than anything else.
1: What's the party without alcohol?
0: You yeah, it doesn't exist. Life without alcohol didn't exist. Um, so yeah, I would stand out there and I would wait and um, I'd do whatever I could to get somebody to buy me some alcohol. Mm. And it usually happened. I was very seldom that it didn't. But when it didn't, I remember those mm. times.
1: Take me up then toward uh, entering into Alcoholics Anonymous and uh, how you got there and how you found out about it and you know what your early memories were within AA.
0: Um, what brought me into aA was that I had my siblings had all gotten sober and I watched one of them at a time get sober and I was the only one left and um, I knew I had a problem but I wasn't ready to do anything about it for a long time I had married I had two children I was probably would never have won the uh, mother of the year award <laughs> because I just... I couldn't do it. I couldn't parent. Um, I would leave my children when they needed me, and it didn't matter because alcohol mattered more than anything. And one night I was driving home, um, or one early morning I was driving home, and I remembered saying, I couldn't survive anymore. I couldn't do it anymore. It wasn't working. I, didn't, I couldn't do it. And I tried to hit a tree, and um, I couldn't hit it. I couldn't hit the tree, and I tried to hit the next one, and I couldn't hit the next one, and I just wanted to die. And I got home, and um, I knew it was over, and I called my sister who lived in Boston, and I picked the one who actually lived the farthest away, probably because I didn't really want her to come out. So I called her and said I needed help. She said, I'll be right there. And she got in her car, and she came out. And then my other sister came over and my brother-in-law came over and they said, uh, we'll bring you, we'll, we'll get you into detox. And I was so afraid, but I knew I couldn't go on. I knew I wanted to die and I couldn't do it. Um, My brother-in-law said to me, don't worry, detox will be fine. I've done it many times. And I'm thinking, Oh my God, I got to keep going back. How many times do I have to go back to this place? And um, you know, I pictured detox in my mind as a young woman that I was unique, that it was all old men and that I was the only young person in the world who had gotten this bad. Um, I really thought it would be old men in there. And um, I went into detox and of course it was all young people like me. (laughs) (laughs) There were a couple older people, but most of them were my age and I was able to uh, hear it and really listen and listen to the speakers that came in. Um, they asked me if I wanted to go on to rehab, and I went into a 30-day program. You know, my sisters kind of backed off at that point and let the rehab take care of me, let, um, let other people handle me because they knew emotionally I would be a mess, and, and they were right. Um, I'm glad they did that. I had some wonderful people early on. You know, rehab um, to me was a lifesaver. I'm so glad that
1: that was in my life. That's great. You know, I mean, you hear some people knock rehab and um, you know saying they didn't get much out of it, but there are a lot of people who like it too uh, and love it even. Uh, but mm-hmm. in your case, it was a it looked like to be a lifesaver and exactly what you needed at that time.
0: It was absolutely a lifesaver. Absolutely. They were um, they were wonderful to me. They helped me. They, they taught me the steps to take when I got out. I had two young children. Um, at the time, I was married to a man who drank daily, and I was afraid. I was afraid to go back to that. My um, ex-husband was a daily drinker and promised me he would not drink when I got out. Promised me. Swore up and down, he had no problem. He would not drink when he got when I got out, and um, he lasted maybe three days. <laughs> he tried; he really tried. He lasted about three days, and I remember calling up my counselor from the rehab and saying, "What do I do now? You know, what do I do? He's drinking again, and I can't. I can't live like this. You know, I was going to meetings. I was trying to do whatever I could, and um, we ended up splitting up. He moved out." And he was to go down his own journey that lasted another year. Then he got so sober. So he
1: ended up getting sober too.
0: Yes, he's sober now. Man,
1: too. your family has the magic touch. You and everybody yeah. around you. My goodness.
0: <laughs> yeah, it was it was really good. It was really good. He's been a wonderful father.
1: Great. So he has yeah. a good relationship with the kids and all that sort of stuff yes. as well. Oh yes. fantastic. All right. So you get out of rehab, he's drinking. Uh, you end up kind of, uh, going your separate ways. Um, you have the two kids there. Uh, you start going to Alcoholics Anonymous at this point?
0: Yes. I started going to meetings and honestly, I didn't, um, I didn't know what I would do because now I'm a single parent. I have two children. So I happened to bring my children with me to meetings and they would have their skateboards and they were, they were about 10 and 12 at the time and would ride their skateboards out in the parking lot. And, um, They were really good. They were really good. Um, They would come in and listen a little while and then go back out and they they met the people. And, you know, I got a sponsor. I started following all the directions, um, or most of them at the time. My original sobriety date was April 13th of um, 1989. So that would have been my original. I had one night of a relapse, and that's September 12th. So that brought it to September 12th, nineteen eighty. Was that
1: scary when you went out that night?
0: No, I I preached to everybody about AA.
1: (laughs) Really? During your relapse, huh?
0: Oh, during my relapse. I was, that was incredible. I couldn't believe I did that. Yeah. Then I knew I was done. I couldn't go back.
1: You know, they always say uh, the, the belly full of booze and the head full of AA does not mix well. Did you find that to I, be the case? It
0: does not mix well at all. And I just tell everybody they needed to be where I was going. <laughs> <laughs> I was at AA and they needed to come with me because they were just as bad. As me, so.
1: <laughs> All right. So you went out and did a little preaching for a night. And then you got I back did. up on the train again, right? And started uh, heading down the right path, so I, to speak?
0: I did. I went back to meetings and um, the woman who became my sponsor that day um, Told me there was one suggestion I probably hadn't followed, and you know I might want to think about what it was. And I didn't have a sponsor, so I did get a, a sponsor. I had a woman before that that I didn't use, you know, the um, the sponsor that you never call. The right. name only. <laughs> One of those. So I got a sponsor, and I started doing the things that were suggested, and um, things started changing. You know, things really started changing for me. And I started learning about myself. Um, I remember she asked me one day, what's your favorite color? And honestly, I had no idea. I had no idea. Hmm. I had never spent any time looking internally at anything within me. So I had no idea about anything. And um, she took me on a journey of learning about myself and learning who I was and who I wanted to be in life and helping me along the way. And it was wonderful. And, you know, my ex-husband got sober a year later and uh, my son took him to, a, or took him out to a meeting and said, dad, I'll introduce you. To everybody. <laughs> <laughs> so it was nice. <laughs> did
1: y'all have the thing where you have to go to different meetings or did you, were you able to kind of mix and mingle a little bit?
0: Well, we actually got back together for a couple of years and, and that was difficult because about four or five years later, our marriage ended. And um, to be in sobriety and end your marriage when you're both sober is very difficult. Right.
1: So you reunited and then divorced again? Yes. Gotcha. Yes. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah, it, uh, it happens. Uh, I, I know a good friend of mine, uh, same thing happened to and uh um, I understand. So, and how were the kids with all this? Did they, were they, uh, not, not necessarily the divorce part, but just the, uh, I, I guess the, you know, parents getting sober and things changing and trying to adjust a new life. Uh, did they uh, manage that fairly well?
0: No, they didn't. Um, that was when both my sons started using drugs, drinking, and the problems began with them and that lasted many, many years. Um. Many, many years. One of my sons was a chronic relapser in and out of rehabs, detox, um, many years. And that was really difficult. That was really difficult. Living, trying to live sober and having your child drink and drug, you know, and two of them for a while. One of them got sober, and then a couple years later, the other one was able to.
1: That's sad. You know, we really haven't hit that period with our kids yet, where they're old enough. Uh, and uh, God only knows, right? I mean, it's in His hands. All you could do, all you could is all you could do, and then uh, see how it plays out from there. Did you ever find Alan on by any chance?
0: I did went to Al-Anon, went to um, a parents group where I had a lot of people there that were wonderful and helping me. Al-Anon was tremendous. Um, I couldn't survive without any of the groups that I went to. <sighs> you know, uh, they were just savers of, of you know my sanity. Um, that was a really difficult time. My son, one of them, was almost you know almost died. His kidneys had shut down and. He was, um, he was in the hospital, and he was so close to death, and he survived, and that was really good, and he got sober after that.
1: My goodness. Oh, so that was good. You have been through the ringer, uh, both in a, uh, a good way and a not-so-pleasant way as well. You've definitely got a life of stories to uh, share with us here. My goodness. Um, So let me just do a little uh, brief uh, announcement here and then we'll get back. We will be continuing our conversation with Sue S. in just a moment from Massachusetts. Just a reminder, you are listening to Sober Speak. You can find us on the web at SoberSpeak.com. There you will find... Oh, about 70 plus other episodes you can listen to for free. Keep in mind, you can also find the donate button on our website. Uh, and if the spirit moves you to do such, you can use that. This podcast is funded by you, the listener. Sober Speak is a self-supporting organization through our own contributions. We are not allied with any sect denomination politics organization or institution we do not wish to engage in any controversy neither endorse nor oppose any causes all right now back to miss sue all right so sue i know from one of the emails that you had sent over that uh, i believe you're pretty heavily involved in a uh, service work if i'm not mistaken uh talk to me about the service work not only you do now but you've done throughout the years in alcoholics anonymous
0: um, service work, I've gotten involved in, when I first got sober, I was involved in institution work, and I went into institutions and psych wards and um, put on a meeting there, and I love that. I did that for several years, and then things progressed with my children, and I got out of service work for a number of years. Um, recently, I realized I was missing something in my sobriety. Meetings weren't enough. Sponsoring people weren't enough, and it was suggested that service work would be something that I should get back involved with. And uh, I became involved in cooperation with the professional community, which is CPC, and it's an organization. We go in to talk with doctors, lawyers, um, nurses. We do nursing students, any professional that would work with individuals with Um, alcoholism.
1: And didn't you mention something about uh, an an archivist? Are you involved in the archiving work?
0: Currently, I'm the co-chair of archives. Um, You rotate. So for two years, I did cooperation with the professional community. Currently, I am um, on the archives committee. I'm the co-chair of the archives committee. And if you don't know what that is... (laughs) Why
1: don't you explain what an archives committee is for those who may not know?
0: Um, we have, we work with an archivist, um, which is a woman, in our case, a woman in our group that carries and handles all the information about AA, about our groups, any group in the area, our area information. So groups, histories, when groups started, when groups folded, um, we keep any old pamphlets, um, any meeting lists that may be really old, anything that would be the history of AA in the area or on the, uh, you know, global level.
1: And is that kept differently than it was uh, previously? In other words, there's so much digital information nowadays, I'm assuming they store some of this digitally and also keep the physical copies. Do you have any idea?
0: We have both. Yes. Yes. And currently AA is in the process of doing a whole um, website where all this information will be available that will be able to connect globally and on a local level. That's great. So all information will be in there. That's that.
1: fantastic. And it is so important to Preserve that history. Now I know not everybody is going to be interested in that and and dive right into it, but there are some people who really really love the history of AA. They want to know where it got started. They want to know why we do the things we do, uh, where the traditions come from. Uh, you know, even here locally in uh, Texas, you know, what I, I recently listened to a uh, a tape that really walked through the uh, the history of Alcoholics Anonymous uh, and. They They had a kind of a Texas spin on it, like where the Dallas meeting started and where the Houston meeting started and what people were, you know, which people started that and what their names were and everything that they had to go through just to get that started. I mean, nowadays we email, right? They would have to be sending these letters to general services offices in New York, going back and forth and waiting days and days for people to respond. And uh, really, they were just kind of doing it on their own out of the goodness of their heart. And it's just, it's incredible to hear all that history.
0: It is, it's nice. And we are also able to, if a group has an anniversary, we bring the boards, the history boards, we'll bring them to the meeting. So if anyone in our area has an anniversary, we'll bring the boards and and they can put them on display. Yeah, I've
1: seen those before conferences. They're a good uh, uh, visual reminder. You know, people could just look up and go, oh, that's where this came from. You know, this is where we, we came from. And you get to see the people who started this and the folks sitting around and uh, uh, creating the traditions. And uh, it, it's just it really kind of lights my fire a little bit.
0: It is. It's very interesting. And, you know, rotating from one service commitment to another is really nice. So my next one, who knows what that'll hold, but um, I'm open. We're usually assigned in another two years, I'll be assigned another committee if I choose to continue on. So it'll be nice. So for
1: people listening in who, if, if they'd want to get involved in that type of service work, how would they go about finding the proper people to get them connected, so to speak?
0: Usually either going through the um, intergroup office, you can find out who your area chair is or um, who would be the one you would get in touch with. The groups usually assign someone to that committee and and when and where's usually have the listing of when those groups meet, where they meet and you can go to those. Super. All
1: right. So you've been sober for quite a long time, as we've discussed already. And have you always, I guess, consistently gone to meetings throughout your sobriety?
0: No, I haven't. And that's probably a really important thing to talk about. Um, I My husband was really sick a few years ago, and I stopped going to meetings for a couple of years thinking, I was okay. I've been sober a long time. I can do this. I've got it. And I was okay for a while. I think one of the things we get from meetings is we grow spiritually and we grow where we feel like we're stronger and emotionally and we can handle it. When you stop going to meetings, I think you start to deplete all of that. And emotionally and and spiritually, it gets depleted. And it took a couple of years for me to be depleted. But eventually, I became um, empty, totally empty. I had no more spirituality left. I had, um, I wasn't happy. I wasn't happy at all. And I think that. Um, That really told me, and my husband, I want to say strongly suggested, (laughs) because it was a very strong suggestion that I go back to meetings. And um, I did. And the minute I walked in, I knew what I had been missing.
1: So he was the sick one. Was he going to meetings still?
0: No, he wasn't able to. My husband had um, hepatitis C from his years of using drugs and um, had gone through all the treatments, was unresponsive to any of the treatments, and needed a transplant. Um, Before you need a transplant, you're usually very, very sick, and it's a progressive thing. You get very sick, and you get what they call um, encephalopathy, which is um, toxins on the brain. Mm. So he would have seizures. He, um, He would be forgetful. It's almost like somebody with Alzheimer's so I had to have, he had to have care 24 hours a day. He had to have somebody with him all the time. And that's what kind of started the stopping me from going to meetings. You know, when, when the care became more and more, my time um, was filled up more and more with taking care of him. Um, he ended up finally in 2012, just took a nosedive and his kidney shut down and his liver shut down and um, we rushed him to Boston to a hospital in Burlington, Leahy Clinic, which is um, one of the renowned clinics and hospitals for transplants, and he was able to uh, have the transplant that saved
1: him. Oh, really? So how is his health today? Is he doing better?
0: He's great. He's probably healthier than I am. <laughs> great. <laughs> so, he's great. Wow. Um, but he was, he was probably you know another hour or two, and he would not have survived. Right. It was that close, it was that close. He was in a coma, it was really bad. and I had such wonderful support. and I, you know and I, I realized that I just needed people and I needed the prayers, and that depleted a lot of my, you know, emotionally, my spirituality. I was going through that, you know. Um, it was a really tough time. And his recovery was very slow too.
1: But he was the one suggesting maybe you were a little crispy and you should get back to meetings himself, right?
0: (laughs) Right, right, right. Well, you know, any illness like that will really put a uh, jamper on a marriage (laughs) and a relationship. So I was was depleted and um, I was someone that was turning into a very angry person. And he said to me, he had been going back to meetings and I hadn't yet. And he said, you know what? I really think you would really benefit if you went to one. Wow. And I, part of me wanted to get really mad at him at that moment. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the other part of me knew he was absolutely right. And um, I took a suggestion and I went. And the minute I walked in, I knew I was home. I knew I was absolutely back home and it was where I belonged. And he was right. And that I had really missed going to meetings in AA. Fellowship, everything. It's just all there, you know, it's all there. And, uh, I have friends, I have people in my life and, um, I love it. And I just dove right in. When I went back, I just jumped right back in and, um, started going to meetings, sponsoring people, doing the things I needed to do, um, E- following every suggestion.
1: Tell me about sponsoring people and what sort of experiences you've had with that and how that has helped you and your sobriety and possibly your relationship with it you have with your sponsor as well. Mm-hmm. You talked a little bit about, about that on the front end, but if you want to dive right. into that a little further,
0: it's been an experience. Um, everyone that I've sponsored, I've had some that have walked away and said they hated my guts and left. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Did you ask them to I do t- some work?
0: Yes, that was it. That was it. <laughs> um, I tend to be someone that I'm kind of cut and dry that you need to do this and you need to read the big book, you know, read a chapter. If they don't read a chapter in the big book, it's, you know, I, I can't do anything for somebody that's not willing to do anything for themselves. Mm-hmm. And, and then I have some that are just wonderful and uh, do all the work and just sponsor other people. And it's wonderful to see it because you need to have that in your life to be able to check who you are and know that you're on the right path too. You know, I always need direction and I need to give direction. Um, my sponsor once said to me, you can't always be the teacher. You have to be the student. And that's so true.
1: Yeah, that's uh uh, you know, they always say when the student is ready, the teacher will appear. And uh, I have had that same experience uh, many times over of watching that individual just go through the work. And they have this conception of what the work is going to look like before they actually go through it. And they start doing the work and they go through it. And then things change and it's different than they thought it was going to be and you get to watch the light come on and it is it still never gets old um and you know i absolutely love it
0: i do too and it's you know we're our group is dealing with um someone in our group that died this week you know from an overdose and that's really painful because it's it's something that's really big here right now um i think it is all over the country and i've probably once a month, I hear about somebody that I know that's died. And um, it's just really difficult. So when people really listen and get it, you just, it feels so good to know that, you know, one more person maybe is going to live.
1: All right. So we've talked about several things. I've really enjoyed this. Is there anything that you want to add before we wrap up anything major that we may have missed that you want to make sure the uh, silver speak audience knows. And so I just asked a question, but I'm going to stop and I'm going to re ask it another way. There's a lot of people out here who listen, who are people that I call so are curious or they are uh, uh, they're, they're on the fence with what sobriety is about. Um, and uh, there are also others that are listening that are struggling to get sober. They know they want to, but they're struggling with it. What sort of uh, experience can you share with those folks that may be helpful for them in their lives?
0: I think that um, getting sober is probably the tip of the iceberg. There's so much more Underneath that happens internally within us. Um, one of the things that I know is fear was a huge thing in my life. I I, I could drive down a highway doing ninety and I'd be okay, but I couldn't have a conversation with another person and look them in the eye because I was so fearful. And those are the things that I've been able to work on in my life. And AA has given me that. You know, it's giving me the ability to become a person that I could never have been, had I just gotten sober and didn't go to AA. I've learned so much and I have some wonderful friends. Um, It's given me just all the gifts that I could possibly want in life.
1: This has been just a treat. Uh, I've really, really enjoyed our time together. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and wrap it up here with uh, page 164 of the big book. Of Alcoholics Anonymous. It says, Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to Him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us, like me and Sue. And all of her family, <laughs> as you trudged the road of happy destiny, may God bless you and keep you until then. And I am so glad that your sponsor, I'm sorry, what's her name again? Annette, right? Annette. I am so Annette. glad that... She loves Ann- you. Ann- God bless you, Annette. I'm so glad Annette <laughs> referred you over to the podcast, and I'm so glad you took that drive from Massachusetts to Florida And you were able to tune in there, and uh, you're sure a sweet lady, Sue. I sure do appreciate all the work that you've done for Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh, I'm so happy for you and your family and your extended family uh, and what you've been able to find through AA. And uh, thank you for coming on Sober Speak today, okay? Thank you,
0: John. God bless you.
1: Well, as Sue said, getting sober is the tip of the iceberg. What would you think about Sue? I would love to hear your thoughts and comments. I'm at john, J-O-H-N, at SoberSpeak.com. You can email me about Sue or any of the other speakers that we have, and I am more than happy to pass along comments and or feedback. All right. Now on to some listener feedback Gary P writes in and he says, John, I am a new listener and I have a hundred and five days sober. So thankful for this new way of life. I came to AA after a blackout poker night with the guys lol laugh out loud i can laugh about it now but it wasn't so funny when the cop showed up at my house door to tell me to tell my wife that i was parked on the side of the neighborhood road and the car wouldn't start talk about a break the car wouldn't start and i'm assuming the officers had mercy on me since i couldn't drive a parked car they left me to the wrath of my wife <laughs> who was so sick of the recurring episodes. I wasn't a daily drinker, more like four to five times a year. I just never in my life have been able to have, quote, just one, unquote, more like 10 or 12, or until the lights go off in my head. I had tried to quit on my own strength for probably a hundred times over 30 years. I was good at quitting, not so much as staying quit. I am now 52, so grateful to have learned in my first week of AA that I don't need to fight this thing on my own. My relationship with God, with the God of my understanding, has been enhanced exponentially by AA and the companionship of my fellow AA members in my home group. That has absolutely been the missing link in having a sober life. This is my new life, and I love it. And my wife loves it too. <laughs> Exclamation point. Mm-hmm. Love the podcast. Thankful I found it. Gary. From Nashville. Well, thank you from Gary. Thank you, Gary, from Nashville, and tell your uh, wife we t- said hello as well. <laughs> John K. writes in, and this is a little bit of a longer one, but I thought this was worth reading in its entirety. And he says, "Hi, John." I live in Fort Smith, Arkansas, and I found your podcast quite by accident. I'm not a high-tech kind of guy and was exploring icons on my iPad on my iPad. One that said podcast. I wasn't even sure what a podcast was at the time. After exploring a bit, I typed AA into the search box. Something That was weighing on my heart. That's how I came upon Sober Speak. I can now listen to it constantly and look forward to every new podcast. I also enjoy participating in the secret Facebook group. Sober Speak has given me a renewed strength. Backing up a bit, I went to my first AA meeting on Wednesday night, January 11, 2017, That This was after a doctor's visit the day before I went looking for a magic pill to stop my hands from trembling. I had been diagnosed in 1981 at the age of 25 of having an essential tremor, which basically means my hands shake and they don't know why. My doctor at the time knew that it was bothering me and asked if I drank alcohol. I responded that I did socially, and he suggested that if I was going out for dinner or a meeting with friends, just to have a cocktail or a glass of wine beforehand, and the tremor would probably not be noticeable. I then asked him what I could do for the problem during the day because it was was interfering with my work, which sometimes sometimes included technical drawings, and I couldn't hold on to the pen steady. He said not to worry, and he gave me a prescription of a half a milligram of Valium three times a day. Wow, a doctor told me to drink and take drugs. Interesting. Well, I never filled the, the prescription, but I did take his advice on the drinking. Again, just socially, and not ever a hard binge drinker. However, this is did increase over the years, and while I knew my dad and older brother were both untreated alcoholics, I certainly didn't feel like I was or even would be one. All that changed in late 2015 when I went through a devastating divorce. Not due to drinking, because for the seven years we were married, I hardly drank at all. Nonetheless, I found myself alone and I hated it. I did not want to go home to an empty house, so instead, I would find a happy hour after work every night and drink until I was tired, and then went home straight to bed to sleep it off. In 2016, there were probably five days that I didn't drink. During this time, I thankfully discovered Uber, and while that kept me and everyone else safe, it was a license to drink. I didn't have to worry about anything, thus pushing me into blackouts almost every night. I would wake up the next morning and look at the Uber app on my phone or receipts on my dresser to see where I had been the night before, and the majority of the time I could not remember. I was finally, I was luckily financially able to support this habit, along with being known as an over-tipper to my bartender's. I would get daily text messages from cute young bartenders letting me know they were working and asking me to stop by. I was very popular, right? question mark. It's funny because I knew all along these ladies weren't quote my friend unquote but only an ends to a mean means, but I was okay with it and because it satisfied my loneliness. Thinking about my tremor and, and that had it increased terribly and to the point of obviousness to everyone, I made an appointment with my primary care physician in hopes of getting that Valium prescription once again. Fortunately, my doctor was a recovering alcoholic and after hearing just a little bit of my recent history, left the examining room for a minute only to return with a copy of the big book. He told me his story and invited me to a meeting the following night, which I was very reluctant to attend. The meeting started, and everyone was introducing themselves. I did not feel compelled compelled to say I was an alcoholic. But at the end of the meeting, when asked if there was anyone who had a burning desire, I quickly spoke up and said that I did not want to leave this meeting without reintroducing myself. And I said, hello, my name is John and I am an alcoholic. During that one hour meeting, it became clear to me that I had an allergy to alcohol and that no matter how hard I tried on my own, I was not going to be able to stop. I needed AA, and I went to meetings three times a week faithfully and was able to refrain from drinking. Unfortunately, I did not work the steps nor get a sponsor. I made it through the first three steps but did not want to address what I needed to address more than anything else, which was step four. After a year and three months, I slipped not only slipped, but slid for months. And actually until last week, I had felt ashamed and could not bring myself to go back to my home group and face them. So I stayed out. Wow, there are so many good lessons in this, John. Anyway, I'll continue on. I found Sober Speak a couple of months ago and I started using it as my meeting, although I continue to drink and worse yet, drunk, Text. A very good friend of mine, who had been on the receiving end of these uninvited and inappropriate texts, held a mirror up to my face, and with her words last week, it was sobering. Who was this guy, and why can't he control his actions? I already knew the answer, and once I got over the shock of taking a long, hard look at myself and realizing how I was hurting those I loved the most, not to mention making a fool out of myself, I found that bottom once again. Last night, I went for I went to a meeting and asked for a sponsor and wanted a real challenge. I know I cannot beat this without working all 12 steps, and I must have help to do this, and I can't do it on my own. I also found there was no shame in asking for a sponsor and admitting to another bunch of drunks that I continue to be Powerless over alcohol, today begins a whole new day for me. My prayer and desire is one day at a time. I believe in my heart I will succeed because it is God's will in my life, and I'm surrounded by a bunch of willing people to help me. I could write on and on about the past few years, the good and the bad, but I'll close with this: Your podcast, Sober Speak, gets the credit for getting me back in the rooms and a new self-dedication to being a better person. Well, Sober Speak, that is, and a very dear friend that shouldn't have to put up with somebody like me, but through God's love and grace, she has. Thank you, John M., for all you do and all the time you invest in keeping guys like me sober. You're a gift from God, and I appreciate you. Keep it up, John K., And by the way, I now have a new sponsor. He wrote that as an update a couple of days later. Oh my goodness, John. Gosh, that doctor who actually 12-stepped you? Uh, Wow. I I wish that we could come across that more and more often. Uh, The lady friend of yours who put up with your drunk texting. It was able to come confront you. God bless her. And I'm so, so, so privileged that us here on Sober Speak have been able to be a small, small part of your recovery. God bless you, John K. Uh, Keep me posted. All right. Eileen writes in. I lean to the left, I lean to the right. I'm so sorry, Eileen, I had to do that. I'm sure you've heard that about a billion times in your life. Nonetheless, she says, good morning, John. I live in New Jersey. She doesn't spell it like that, but I just say it like that. Nonetheless, tell the Sopranos I said hello. Oh, I'm sorry. I don't know why I'm going off on your particular uh, listener feedback here. I'm sorry, Eileen. Anyway, I'm a recovering compulsive overeater, and I'm lucky to have found out about your website and podcast through a Facebook group I'm on for Overeaters. Very grateful to have been shown this path. For me, I really enjoy the speakers who have issues with food, but the message of all the speakers, all the speakers have to share is so helpful. Thank you for your service, Eileen W. Well, thank you, Eileen, for writing in. We've had a lot of people from the OA group and just people who work the steps uh, uh, for their food addictions writing in lately, and I'm so thankful that that we can provide a perspective on the 12 steps and like I said all the time and like I said at the beginning of this podcast is that we are based on the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous and I'm glad that obviously it's just not alcoholics who use this and I'm so glad that you have found a solution and uh, uh, you're, you're able to listen in with us. And, and I do plan on having more Overeaters Anonymous uh, stories as we move along. Uh, it's just a matter of uh, time and effort and getting the right people. But thank you, Eileen, for writing in. Ryan writes in. He says, I am out of Denver, Colorado. Currently, I am two weeks sober, and this is the first time I'm going through a 12-step program. Great, Ryan. I have taken two to three months breaks every year to, quote, prove, unquote, that I could do it but I always knew I would drink again at a New Year's Eve party eventually. I always thought that if I could make it off a few months, that I'd be fine. But my body ended up telling me otherwise. After becoming dependent upon alcohol for sleep and having major stomach issues, I had to check myself and do a detox um, and start with the big book, along with Russell Brand's book Recovery, that was a comical companion <laughs> to read along the big book. Anyway, I'm grateful to be following the program and looking forward to what changes my mind, body, and spirit. Ryan, that's great, Ryan. Well, happy congratulations on your uh, two weeks, and I'm uh, really glad to hear that. Okay, last and not last but not least, as they say. Sarah writes in on Instagram, really short and succinct, but she says, love, love, love the podcast, and a big thumbs up and a big smiley face. And I said to Sarah, love, love, love the feedback from people like you. It is what fills my tank, it what's and it's what keeps me going. It's what keeps my battery charged. Anyway. God bless you all, and we shall see you next week. Love you. Bye-bye.